All right, y'all thought that I might be fibbing. This is proof right now. The Letterman Podcast. We have one sponsor, one sponsor only, but it is Rupert G and the Hello Deli. Thank you very much for sponsoring our show, Rupert. It's my honor, Mike. Welcome once again to the Letterman Podcast. As always, my name is Mike Chisholm. As always, I am excited and grateful and all of that crap to be here. Uh, this is so much fun. I love doing this show. Oh my gosh. It is currently, uh, full disclosure, it is currently a Saturday morning. Uh, and I am, uh, I just finished. So like, this is like one of those time warp things. I'm doing an intro to an episode that I just finished because that's how it works sometimes. That's the magic of podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. That's what happens sometimes. And uh, I'm really glad that I didn't shoot the intro beforehand. If I had, I would have uh, discarded it and reshot it. Actually, I've done that a lot and I've got all these videos of, of, of uh, intros and outros that weren't used uh, because something has uh, occurred to compel me to change uh, to change directions or whatever. This would have certainly been one of those because if I would have shot an intro for Jill beforehand, um, it just, yeah, no, it wouldn't have sufficed. I don't care what I would have said or done. Uh, it wouldn't have worked because I just had this absolutely phenomenal conversation. It's in my past, but it's in your future. Uh, Jill Bayer came on the show. Who was Jill Bayer? Well, she was one of David Letterman's assistants. She was um, uh, on the team with Lori Diamond and, and, and in the inner circle with Dave at the latter years of NBC. So um, when Dave made the transition over, Jill had already left. She left late night because she was there uh, as as um, doing an unpaid gig as one of Dave's assistants, uh, you know, and that's how people cut their teeth. I mean, how many people have we had on here who worked for the show unpaid for a long time, but cutting their teeth and learning immense things and having unbelievable uh, life experiences in the process. Jill is one of those folks. And boy, did she ever have a lot of very cool life experiences uh, working for late night, some of which she shared here. And then she moved over to a paid gig. She moved over to Saturday Night Live after that. Uh, ended up doing a whole bunch of different things, including working for friends as well. We touch on those uh, in the episode. Uh, clearly just building rapport so she can come back on and just we can just play and have fun with anecdotes from her uh, time in show business. Very, very cool episode. I recommend this episode for anybody who is a creative um, that maybe hasn't stretched those muscles uh, like they would like to. Um, and 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 Jill is just a, a fantastic soul. She's amazing. We had a really great conversation. Again, I wish that I could rewind myself and turn back time so I could experience it for the very first time. You all are extremely fortunate because you get to see it and hear it for the very first time. Uh, Jill Bayer, uh, a guest here on the Letterman podcast. Please enjoy. And did you like... I'm really, really curious as to how you ended up in the 30 Rock ethos and working for 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 Dave at that point because um, you know it's so cool to to know the lore of people how how when the transition happened from CB from NBC to CBS many people came with the show but at that point right. they were like NBC employees and then they became Pants employees. You were an NBC employee, right? 
I was an NBC employee. I went to SNL. So that's what happened. So okay. I never was, I never worked at CBS. I was at 30 Rock at NBC. It was, it was a little earlier than the move. It was, um, I was like 90, 91. Yep. Uh, so it was a lot of the behind the scenes stuff was happening in terms of him trying to, you know, mean him, meaning uh, Dave trying to plot, you know, his next course of action. But, um, but in terms of me, I was at NBC and then because we were all in the same building, I knew a lot of the SNL people already. Yeah. A lot of the crew was the same. Um, so I shifted over there because I thought that was a, you know, like a better position for me professionally, they were going to make sure. me, uh, you know, and so, and, and so that's, you know, so I moved over there. Uh, so I never did work at, at CBS. Okay, so uh, I love I love that because you know here you are sitting there as as Dave's assistant, and I want to talk about I definitely want to talk about uh, some of these day to day things you would have seen because you would have seen a lot of shit being Dave's assistant in a good way. Uh, I want to talk before we finish this podcast. I want to ask if Jeff Altman ever called in, if you ever got to hear any of his voices. Oh, that absolutely. Kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, absolutely. but then moving over, uh, you know wanting to be a creative wanting to be in this and and Dave's assistant is a crazy cool gig but the the the, the professional in you uh you know Harvard wanting to be a writer that kind of a thing you yeah. know you you wanted to exercise those uh those muscles and staying there I can understand why you would have moved over that being said before you moved over to SNL you would have seen some of those SNL castmates showing up on your floor of the building to get glimpses of Dave and, and and whatnot, and then you'd end up going over to work with them. Is that is this is the time frame that we're talking about, right? Sure, absolutely. You know, I didn't pay any attention to anybody but Dave. Like I was. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine. Laser focus um, that <laughs> I could care less who else was around, um, and so I literally had no interest really in the SNL people. Um, and I was just so thrilled to be on the Letterman show. That's exactly where I wanted to be. It was my dream job at, you know, at the time. And, uh, and so I didn't pay attention to any of the celebrities who were around. I was just focused on Dave, which. Okay. So there we go. We've done a great job already setting a table. Let's go back before you got the job. Okay. Uh, uh, you were at Harvard. Were you at Harvard for uh, no, to be a writer? No, so my college career was all like split up, and it's because okay. I worked at Letterman and 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 SNL while I was still in college. So I actually went to three schools. Wow. <laughs> I went to Emory, NYU, and then graduated from Harvard. So it's I I my whole college career. I should have graduated in ninety one. I graduated in ninety five, yep. um, and it was just a mess, but it it worked. And um yeah. and I so at when I got the Letterman job, I was at Emory University in Georgia. Okay. Um, so you're, okay. And did I, you come there as an intern? I Yes. And I had, I had grown up in Georgia and I was at Emory and it was the wrong school for me. I, I really disliked it there. And so, um, and it was also when Dave was like the height of his popularity and yeah. all the college kids were, you know, um, just, it, he it was for my age group, being a college kid at that time, it was the height. And yes. I remember being so miserable um, at Emory, uh, like my freshman year that I just thought I got to get out of here. How can mm -hmm. I get out of here? I got to get out of here. And then I thought I was, I thought to myself, if I could do anything at all in the world, what would I want to do? And I thought, you know, if I could do absolutely anything and I knew nobody in entertainment, no one, I mean, I'm living in the South. I grew up in Georgia. 
Um, I had no connections and I just sat in, I remember I like had gone home for the weekend or something and I was sitting in my parents' dining room and I just thought if I could do anything in the world, what would I want to do? And I just thought, you know, I would love to work for, for David Letterman. And that's started the trajectory. And so what happened was, you know, I had seen on the show, you know, that he would have interns on yep. and I was, you know, it, it was like a mirror. I was like, they're my age. If they can do that, why can't I do that? Um, and so then I kind of, in, you know, this was before the internet, like there was no way to find out this information. Yep. And so I just started calling. I didn't even understand how TV shows worked. I didn't even understand like their production offices and their, you know, and, and I didn't know any of that, but I called like literally the operator at 30 Rock and said, you know, how do you become an intern on The Letterman Show? And oh my God, you're getting career advice from the person answering the phone from the telephone at 30 Rockefeller Center. At 30 Rock. Ah. And um, so she eventually, like she connected me to the production office and that was the first time I knew there was a production office. And, um, you know, all I got is a receptionist who's a gatekeeper and, yeah. uh, Basically, what happened is uh, finally the receptionist, um, after many tries, like I, I must have called like 20 times over a period of months. Yeah. Um, finally, the receptionist put me in touch with uh, this woman named Colette Coleman, who was Morty's assistant, who handled uh -huh. the hiring of the interns. And I ended up calling her for six months. So we had, you know, I said, I'm interested in being an intern. How do I do that? And, um, you know, she she was, it's very selective. And and I, we had a nice chat. And I said, would you mind if I called you again in a few weeks just to check in? Because I think she said, like, we're all filled up. We're filled up for months in advance. It's very selective. Basically telling me no way. Yeah. Um, and I, I was very polite. And I just said, would you mind if I, you know, checked back in every, like, you know, three or four weeks just to see by chance if anything opens up? And she's, you know, she's like, yeah, that's fine. You can call back. And so for six months, I called every like two to three weeks yep. and had a quick chat with her. Um, and at the time, I still wanted to get out of Emory because I hated it. And I ended up, I knew I just had to get to New York. Like that yeah. was, it's like, I bet I could leverage myself if I could just get there. <laughs> and um, it calls so out like I a magnet, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, the truth is I was actually, so I was actually born there and then, but my, then my family moved to Georgia when I was four. Um, wow. So I did have, I did have some sense I, yeah, of the city because I had lived there for a few, you know, yep. my, my early age, I had lived there. My grandparents lived there. My whole family, extended family lived there. So I did have a kind of a base. Um, but anyway, so I got a, a job at, as an intern at Rolling Stone magazine, because I thought, let me just get there. I just no get kidding. There. Yeah. So I did that. That was like the first internship I ever had. It got me out of Georgia, got me to New York. And then once I was in New York, I kept calling Colette Coleman and, and just saying, is there a chance? What do I have to do? Can I get in there? And finally at the end, at like six months of me calling, um, she's like, well, you know, we actually had someone quit yesterday. Could you come in tomorrow? Oh, and I said, yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, uh, okay, before um, we, okay, before we get to that, yeah, just a quick aside. Sure. Did you, while you were at Rolling Stone, did you ever run into Sheila Rogers? You know, I knew her later at Letterman, okay. but I did not know her there. 
Okay. So, anyway, yeah. uh, just just curious about that. It's funny how these things all kind of end up in, interconnected. In your community, especially in Manhattan, was like it's small. It's yeah. it's not as you know big. People know each other, and the, you know there's a like a it's everyone circles in the same social group. So yeah, so it's it's really not as a large a community as as one would think. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I um uh, I I got into the meeting, you know, thinking I'm going for an internship meeting. Um, and when I get there, I find, I mean, I was just thrilled to be up in the offices. I, yeah. I, I figured, I actually thought that was going to be the end of it. Like I literally thought that's, this is my goal. I got to the show that I like love so much yep. and I got to see behind the scenes and I thought that would just be an experience and that would be it. And, and I would be thrilled with that. Okay, so yeah. I gotta ask questions. I gotta, I, I gotta ask questions about this. Like, Absolutely. Cl clearly, um, you know, you don't have a ton of experience in Thirty Rock. This might have been your first time, you know, I past the lobby of Thirty Rock. <laughs> yeah, I've never uh, been there. Okay, when you go up, um, is it is it an experience where? Because I mean, I've seen Seth there uh, before. Not Seth. Uh, I've seen Fallon, which which is you know in the opposite studio, and and I mean, right. I've been to Thirty Rock as a as a as a tourist in the lobby, that kind of a thing. Um, when you go up there, is it, are you ushered right to offices that are not familiar whatsoever? Or were there elements when you went there for that first meeting where you're like, oh, there's something familiar right there. I recognize that. Or there's the entrance to the airlock. There's the, like, did no, you see anything that was familiar? That was on a different floor. So, okay. uh, so the studios were on uh, the sixth floor yeah. and the offices were on, and I can't, I don't even remember, were they on the, because I mix them up with SNL. I think they were on the 14th floor. Okay. So yeah, where, where, where Dave would, would have hijinks, you know, whether he's throwing baseballs out of a window or <laughs> accidentally right. That's or. Where the staff offices were and the writers and Morty. And, they were and, up there. Okay. The yeah. Up on 14. I think like, that's right. Everyone was on that floor. Yeah. We only went down to the studio when we were actually uh, rehearsing the show and taping the show. Okay, um, and that first day you did not see any of that. You were up at the office. No, I went okay. straight. To, so you know they sent me up to the 14th floor in the elevator, and the elevator opens, and it's the only thing on the floor yeah. uh, on that side of the building. Um, and so I, it opens right up into the Letterman production offices, and the receptionist yep. was right there, and um, and then they brought me back to uh, Colette's offices, which was she was Morty's assistant yep. at the time. And so I'm in that office and she said, you know, I know you're here for the internship. Someone quit yesterday. If we offered you a job, could you start right away? And oh, I just Jill. said, yes. <laughs> you know, Unbelievable. Like, yes, I'll just figure out my life. I remember, I wasn't even, even though I was interning at Rolling Stone, I mean, I was, I, I was living with like three people downtown <laughs> in the village. I had, I had no like set up life here. Yep. Um, and I just was winging it. And, um, and I was, you know, I was 19. Um, you were 19. Yeah. Oh my God. So, um, so anyway, so I'm in the office and she said, okay, let me bring you down the hall. I had no idea what internship it was, what position it was. I was just like, it's surfing the wave. I was along for the ride. <laughs> yep. She takes me down the, the hallway. And this is where I start to see, like you said, things I recognize. Okay. Um, so I reckon like the carpet up there was this royal blue color and 
Um, and I, that's where I saw the hallways where I knew stuff because I was an avid watcher of the show. And that's so remotes I, and little things that they would do aside yeah, so that they I, would do upstairs. Again, yeah. I was thrilled. It was like living, you know, visiting Disneyland. It's like, I'm, I just here, this is the pinnacle. Nothing else will happen. <laughs> this would, this is like, this is just my day at the show. And, um, yeah. so she takes me into an office. I don't know what office it is. Uh, and she sits me down with Lori Diamond, who was Dave's assistant at yep. the time. Um, and, but, you know, and I knew who Lori was because I had watched the show and she would always be on the sidelines in the studio and Dave would cut away to her a lot. So I knew that she was a uh, hell of a dancer. You know, yeah. I knew, I knew she was his assistant, but that's all I knew. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, I still don't know what job I'm interviewing for. And she, you know, she asked me a bunch of questions and, um, and then she said something like it, it was, she's like, don't you think like entertainment is the problem with culture today or something like that? And I made a joke and I didn't know that Dave was in the ante room, like the his her office was like the ante room, like a like a, a, a you know a, his office was an offshoot of her office. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize he was listening to the interview. Um, so I oh made God. some joke when she said that. Do you remember the joke? Yeah, it was, but it's not funny. So <laughs> I don't care. Hey, please. <laughs> I'm not going to deliver it right. I'm not a comedian. That's okay. So she said, uh, don't you think, you know, and it was off the, like, it was yeah. just, you know, or don't do you, don't you think inter TV is like the, you know, the, the evil of the entertainment of pop culture today or something like that. And I just shrugged and I said, yeah, but at least there's good condiments. Cause oh I Oh my God. <laughs> okay. She is literally setting the volleyball right there. And you, an off-the-cuff, sarcastic response, it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, you're spiking it and not even I knowing did. that you're spiking it because yeah. that is the sensibility of everybody around that ethos. And it you is. didn't even know it. You're 19. Yeah. That is so cool. Thank that you. Is just so, so cool. Did Dave walk so out I right then? This, I made this sarcastic comment yeah. just off the cuff. Yep. And I hear Dave laughing in his office. And he comes out and he goes, are you here for the job? And I said, yes. And I have no idea what the job is. <laughs> he comes out. Yeah, she'll fit in. She'll be fine. Zero. Zero. And I'm just like, yes. And he goes, okay, start, you know, you can start Wednesday. And, oh. um, and I think this was Monday. And so I got the job that I didn't know what the job was. <laughs> and they send me off and they're like, come back at Wednesday at like 10 a.m. And I'm like, okay. And I have no idea what the job is. And I don't want to ask anybody because I'm afraid of jinxing everything. Yeah. So I just show up at 10 a.m. on Monday morning, not knowing what I'm doing. And uh, and I find out I'm going to be Dave's assistant. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, there's a flash few questions here. Flash um, so let me quote. Because please. It was yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I did not get paid, but so I, and technically I was an intern, but yet the position before had been filled by someone who had been paid and was his assistant, kind of like a second assistant to Lori Diamond. Yes. And then the position, then after me, it was a paid position. So I'm like the only one who didn't get paid. So internship assistant, but regardless, I was, I was, you know, I then became, I mean, I was with him all the time, like, like 24 yeah. seven. It was, that was my, he became my whole life. Um, and that office became my whole life. 
And I was immediately thrust into the inner circle of like my dream job and where I wanted to be. Okay, what were you going, like I know writing and and and, and being a creative is you. And I mean, you can even tell everything about you, it just shines out of you that you're a creative. There's no question about that. Uh, I mean, I can't think of a better um, environment to be thrust into to allow those things to kind of flourish out of you to kind of take in everything going on around you and 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 to nurture these things. I mean, you talk about if that's a plant, you've got no better uh, sunlight, water, soil, and 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 fertilizer for for these things being put into that environment despite the job, just because of the things you get to see and hear. Were you going to school for that specifically, or was Ew. this kind of the moment that nurtured? the idea because there's so many people that didn't necessarily know they wanted to be a creative but they got in that environment for a little while and suddenly or a couple of years later they are a writer they are these creatives right, right, and right. is that what happened to you I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer since I was like five yep. but I wanted to be a literary writer um like a novelist okay. um and then uh at, at when I was at NYU I was taking I wanted to be a playwright and that's kind of how I started. I did not know until I got to the Letterman show. This is how naive I was. I didn't realize TV shows were written. So I yep. really had no idea. I It's not like I thought, oh, I think the actors make up the lines. I never even thought about it. So Let's cut I you some slack. You were 19. Okay, so we'll cut I didn't have an opinion. And I had grown up, like I said, in the South, cut off yep. from all this world. Um, so, but I knew I wanted to be a writer. And then when I when I got to the show, I was like, oh, there's television writers. How, yeah. What an interesting thing. And then I actually remembered that because um, Happy Days was very popular when I was growing up. And yep. uh, Gary Marshall would have his Happy Days cast and crew play baseball together. Um, <clears throat> and Dave, the Letterman show back then, uh, actually had a baseball team. A pretty and serious one at that too, right? Like Jeff team. Jeff Martin talked about that. And everybody yeah, okay. had and some so game. You guys took it, it pretty was seriously. A game and and I am not <laughs> athletic in that regard. <laughs> but it was again, this was part of my dream come true. It's like we I played softball with the Letterman team in Central Park. And that paralleled the happy days thing that I knew from earlier, where the writers would like play. So this was kind of then I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a TV writer. Like, um, yeah. you know, and so that's that's what first kind of opened that up. Um, and then later on, when I had been there for a while, uh, Dave started putting the intros, you know, the, the show would open, the old NBC show would open with like live or like from New York. Yep. Um, and and then like a man who blah, blah, blah. And yeah. that was the intro. And so I started writing those intros. Um, you started writing Bill's copy for for the intro for yeah, the show. That's very yeah. cool. Do you remember and any that come off the top of your head that you you remember getting? I on? remember just one because I was I've been trying to remember the and I can't. Um, but the one that I was proud of was. <laughs> um, so I wrote one that was like from New York transfers available because it was. <laughs> It was like, that's what they used to say on the, I mean, I don't know, I haven't been on the subway in a while. That's what they used to say on the subway, you know, transfers available to get to the next stop on the New York yep. subway. And so, and he, so he thought that was funny. And so that was one of, that was actually the very first thing I ever got on the air ever in my life. So, and that was a big kick because it was nation, not only nationwide, it was like all over the place in terms of this show. And the show was the height of popularity. And it, it really gave me a kick that, 
it was such a great kind of high that that you know you could write something at, at two o'clock in the afternoon and get it on that night. Oh, okay, yeah, that is uh, beyond special, and and I want to talk about that a little bit because. Um, you know, we live at the, at the current time of this recording, it's 2023. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, life is in, in, in this time frame extremely different than it was back then. Right. And, right. and when you talk about the height of popularity, this late, late night was a movement and it was a movement that was started. Like you, you think about Facebook, right. And Facebook is something that is a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody has it, but where did it start? It started with the college kids. It started, right. Uh, with 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 people who are up and coming, who were on the cusp of pop culture and 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 what's new and exciting and whatnot. I think right. Facebook and and the uh, you know if you watch the social network and how it started on these college campuses and moved to college campuses, I think it's a very good modern parallel for what late night was back then. Late night was it was like a secret that every college kid from every yeah. college <laughs> dorm had that could literally transfer for any any university uh, in North America. That's what late right. night was. All the kids would stay up. Uh, substances may or may not have been involved. Um, and, 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 and they would watch late night and it was SNL, something very similar, but it was again, a bit more of a previous generation. Late night was right. where the cool kids were. It That's was where true. the cool bands wanted to be. Absolutely. Um, you know, a, a lot of the cool actors or comedians um, of the day wanted yeah. to go to late night you were there as a college student yeah getting to be there and you got to put shit on the air <laughs> as dave's assistant and this yeah. is the part that i love the collaboration there are so many people no matter what they did uh for that show that got stuff on that show oh, yeah. was it like a drug like your dave's assistant you get transfers available on the screen there's probably no feeling like it is that kind of what it was? And did that kind of get that bug going in you? Well, so what was, I mean, that was, that was like, oh, maybe I can be a writer. It gave me confidence. But what was really more of a drug was when they would put you physically on. And I had no desire to be an actress, <laughs> like ever. I don't actually like being in front of the camera. Um, Could have fooled me. You're doing great right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, but in terms of like, I could never read lines or memorize lines. Yeah. Um, I have a story about that. If we get to the SNL stuff, I'll tell oh, you. Oh, and about. we will, and we will. <laughs> <laughs> I blew it bad one time there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but um, but that was more of a high because I remember, like I had, like I said, I had like three roommates down in in the village. And I would get dressed for work in the morning and I would be throwing clothes around and, and they would just be like, what's your problem? Just get dressed. And I'm like, I don't, you know, it's like this thing. It's, it's like, I could go to work, but I could end, you know, maybe I'll be on TV later today. Yeah. Maybe I'll be on national television later today. And you never knew. And so it would make me anxious. And so, uh, but in a good way, like it was, uh, you know, so, cause honestly you go to work in the morning, by the end of the day, you could be on national television, who would know, you know, and, and you had no idea. And that was really kind of fun. Um, so that was more of a kick kind of when, uh, you know, there would be a sketch and they would say, you, you know, do you want to play blah, blah, blah? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Um, now I got cut from everything. And I don't think that was a reflection on me. It's just for bad 
timing or whatever, whatever sketch I happened to be in did not yeah. work and they would get rid of it. Um, so I, I never really, but I almost made it on the air like more than a few times. Uh, and so that was, you know, that would be like the most fun thing. Well, and the nervousness, like, I mean, okay, we've talked a lot on this show and you're just, uh, you know, building the mythos uh, here and, and confirming the bar was so high for material. And I mean, I, I, I want to, I talk to Walter about this sometimes, like, and, and, and I talk to Shecky about it, um, you know, all the things, the tonnage of footage of things that got cut oh, that yeah. were gold, they just right. weren't as maybe big of a nugget as necessary right. uh, to actually make it on the air. The, the, the bar was so high. Again, right. you're thrust into this environment at 19 where, I mean, we're not just putting anything on. In right. fact, nine out of 10 things are going to be rejected. Yep. And I mean, we've talked a lot to writers about that. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you're in your formative years. The neuroplasticity is 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 very, very sticky still. And you're seeing that the the, the bar is high. That being said, if you've ever been in a studio environment where cameras are on you and all of that stuff, the nervousness doesn't go away <laughs> knowing that, oh, this probably won't make the air. No, you're still just as freaked out about that kind of crap. Actually, um, let me interject there. Yes, and please say, do. No. So for me, it was more anticipatory anxiety because oh. there was, and this is an interesting statement, but I felt so 100% comfortable on stage with Dave because he you knew he would take care of everything. You didn't have to do anything. Oh, the wow. level of confidence was so strong that even if you were in front of a studio audience and cameras and everything and knew yep. that it was gonna be like, you know, national flash worldwide TV, yep. I had zero nervousness when I was actually doing it. Anything. You're kidding. No, because I knew that even, no matter how badly I could possibly <laughs> mess up, he would he would fix it. The wow. confidence level was a hundred percent. And so it, it was, so I never had any nervousness when I was there with him uh, doing something like that Batgirl sketch that, uh, you know, that, that I think you've seen. And so yeah. no nervousness at all. My nervousness was all like my, I think my nervousness was all going to the office every day. I was so, I was nervous that like every single day I was like getting ready to go to work. <laughs> and then once I got to work, I was fine. So, was there any routine to it, Jill, or was it a new adventure every day? It, so there, it was very, very structured, but within the structure, there was a, t it's like you never knew what was going to happen. So, but very <laughs> structured. I mean, the, the show taped every day at like 530 or right. 5, I can't even remember now. Um, and, uh, you know, and I would leave for work the exact same time every day. Dave would leave at the time he was living in New Canaan, Connecticut. He would drive yep. in every day, yep. um, same time every day. Um, you know, I really worked from like 10 in the morning till 10 at night. Um, yep. and that was my schedule, you know, five days a week. Um, so everything in that regard, a TV show is very, very structured. The rehearsal would be at the exact same time. Um, you know, the, the players would change, like, obviously there'd be different musical guests, different celebrities coming in, but the structure was very rigid as all TV show. Cause I worked on other TV shows too, as all TV shows are, yep. but within that, there was a lot of like, just intense fun, intense fun. And, uh, and you never knew what was going to happen up in those offices. So that part was the, the kind of open-ended, you know. I mean, it was the most concentrated fun time I've had in my life. It was hilariously. Fun. I uh, I love this so much. Let's get into the uh, 
the Dave's assistant. I want to talk a little bit about Lori because I mean, legendary. Uh, you know, like you yeah. say on on camera, we all saw Lori so much, and right. uh, you know, I've heard I've heard how good of a dancer she is, and how just how uh, you know Lori is a, a personality unto herself, and 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 I want to talk about that a little bit. But I want to talk about uh, one of the things that I've heard is that if you were one of Dave's assistants in any way, you had to make sure you knew how to drive his cars. Uh, did you have to drive Dave's cars very much? No. Yeah. A funny story. So he sent me once, I don't know where, somewhere upstate New York to get his Lamborghini. <laughs> oh my God. Cause there's a learning curve to driving a Lamborghini. That is crazy. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even drive a stick. I couldn't even drive a stick. I didn't know. Was how. it a Countach? I don't even know mm. what that means. Oh, uh, <laughs> was it the one where the door goes up? The, the door lifts up in the oh. air? interesting you know i don't remember i do remember it was yellow it was bright yellow like yellow jacket yellow um hold on and... one thing my, my my power cord just slipped out of my laptop and i cannot lose this i'm so fascinated by this one sec here no problem there we go i'm all i'm better now um, okay good okay it was a yellow lamborghini so and he <clears> sent <throat> me up there to it was at it was at the dealer getting fixed or something. I don't remember the details, but he sends me up there and it's a long way. Like I'm in the, you know, whatever, a hired car or whatever. I go up there. It was like an hour, maybe hour and a half drive. Uh, um, I get there and only then do I tell him I can't drive a, uh, not only can I drive, can't not drive a stick. I mean, a Lamborghini, I believe from my knowledge is even different, uh, even more different in terms of uh, that. But um, so I tell him while I'm there. <laughs> Um, funny aside to this, I don't know if you've watched the Casey episode yet, but I only watched part of it, but I intend to watch the rest of it. Her, her, one of her first questions was, can you drive stick? That's so funny. She came after me. So yeah, I that's what I'm saying. She's, she came I like, the, I think right after you. So I set the curve. And so, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, so like, what the hell are you doing up there then? Why didn't she speak up? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I think, you know, he had sent me up here to get luggage or something. Like, it wasn't clear that when I was going up there to get the car, I thought I was going up there to get the luggage that came with the car, something like that. But anyway, that's what happened. So I never, I mean, to this day, I can't drive a manual car. Um, and so he sent me back. And then he sent uh, my friend Andy Carson, who was Paul Schaefer's intern at the time, yep. to go up there and get the car. So maybe you'll have him on. You can ask him. <laughs> Oh yeah, let's set that up. Uh, you you bring up a good question that I was going to ask because it's an interesting place, <clears throat> being <clears throat> excuse me being in the inner circle, um, a very interesting place because you're talking about sensitive information. You're talking about how in some ways the job simply requires you to be separated a little bit from the rest of the staff where there is camaraderie, where there is these things. You're 19. Uh, that being said, <clears throat> you're 19 and you're at the the epicenter of something that you wanted to do. Did you bond with a lot of the people around you and a lot of the rest of the staff? Like, did you become friends with these people or because of the nature of the job, did you have to stay within the inner circle? Sure, so I stayed within the inner circle. Yeah. I became, um, but I mean, I did become friendly with like Paul Sims at the time was a writer, um, uh, Spike Ferrison, uh, they became friends. Daniel wow. Kellison on the talent side became a friend. Basically, I became and Andy Carson, who was Paul's assistant, became a friend. So basically, I became friends with the the younger people on the staff. So Paul, I think, was right out of uh, college. Uh, Spike was like a year older than me. 
Daniel was like two years older than me. So it was like an age grouping thing. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, like literally that was like 3% of my time. And yep. then 97% of my time was really uh, me, Lori, Dave in his office. And then Morty would come in and Steve O'Donnell would come in and that was my entire world. Like nobody, I didn't interact really with anybody else on a, on a friendly level, just because my, I had no time. My focus yeah. was in that world and it was sequestered. Um, and people came into the cave kind of like, that's how I think about it. It was like a cave. People came into the cave, which was Dave's office. And I hardly ever left that area of the, um, of the office of the building, unless I was following Dave, like down to the studio or, um, I mean, I would go everywhere with him if he went, to, you know, to any meeting I was, I mean, I just went with him all the time, wherever he went, I had full access. It, it totally makes sense. Uh, we had a locally uh, about ten years ago. We had a forest fire around us, and and it was it was a firestorm. And and one of the things that the newscasters educated the public about while this fire was going on was when fires get so big, at a certain point, they kind of have their own atmosphere. And and in that atmosphere, that that little world there is unto itself. And 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 I I liken what you're saying uh, very similar to that when you are that close to someone like David Letterman at that point, it is its own atmosphere. And, and that is going to take up, uh, you know, it's kind of separated from everything else. And that makes sense. It's not a personal thing. It's not an elitist thing. It's just, there's so much fucking stuff to do that, that that's kind of what it becomes. Uh, now you mentioned Paul Sims. I'm going to say this and we it might cut this out or whatever, but I'm just going to say this right now. Otherwise I'll forget. Cause I'm like squirrel. And I've got so <laughs> many things to ask you about. Um, Paul Sims is a guy like growing up, it's funny, you would see people's names and credits and things like that. I am such a gigantic enthusiast of news radio. I'm such a gigantic enthusiast of the Larry Sanders show and whatnot. And I remember seeing from a little boy, seeing Paul Sims name here and there and watching it show up in some of my very, very favorite things. Um, the, the thing I, so if we can ever hook up Paul Sims being on here, I would love yeah. to puppy dog all over that guy. Uh, but <laughs> But here's an example of somebody um, who watched, uh, who got to, a chance to be part of these monumental things at a young age and then go on to become part of bigger things uh, that were cool still along the way and creatives. You are, are, are somebody who got a chance to do the same thing, going to SNL, going to Friends, some of the other things that you've done. Do you ever reflect back on those days and are just like holy cow I can't believe I got to be a part of that um I, I just think that was really fun like mm. you know that, that's that's kind of what I think it's almost like oh going to summer camp that was really fun or oh. going to Hawaii you know that was really fun so yeah. they're just like compartmentalized segments of my life and I'm like oh that was a great time that was a fun time but I've had many many fun you know great times uh so it's a it's like a chapter of a book that was like totally fun yeah. <laughs> I mean I had so much fun every single day those of us who live vicarious and wish that we would have become that intern and had a career bud around us and grow. And there are so many examples of that. Many of them have been on this show already. There are many more to come. Um, we are delighted to hear that because we hope that's what it's like. We, yeah. you know, insane amounts of work. Yes. Is there stress and pressure and, 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 and a high standard put on everybody because of the high standard Dave puts on himself that floats down? Yes. 
understood but the idea that that in that chaos is also a tremendous amount of laughter a tremendous amount of fun that kind of a thing uh i'm so grateful to hear that i'm vicariously grateful that you are so grateful and you think of it that way um did you see a lot of hijinks in the office you know you hear the stories the big public ones dave throwing the baseball through the window down to the uh right. down to the street of 30 rock uh mary throwing footballs mary and dave throwing footballs into the true. garbage can mary connelly mary connelly throwing footballs absolutely but um <laughs> no, I, I mean, I have a, a hilarious story. So, I mean, Dave, you know, it's not like he was bored. It was like he had, he was in the office and, and he was waiting for Morty to come in or Steve O'Donnell to come in. There was a lot of waiting going on. So, he, and he's just naturally creative. So he would, he would just play around and do stuff. And we had Chinese food one night and he, oh, and it was, I don't, it wasn't around the 4th of July. So I don't know why in the world we had sparklers, you know, the oh, kind God, of, here we go. Yep. And, um, so for some reason we had sparklers in the office and we get the Chinese food and the Chinese food was bad for whatever reason that night, the place we got was like that greasy, yucky Chinese food. No one wanted to eat it. And so Dave, you know, almost like a little kid, it's like he has the sparklers. So we start sticking the sparklers inside the egg rolls that we didn't eat. Awesome. And um, so he sticks the sparklers in the egg rolls and he has a lot of them, like, like 10 going at the same time. We think it's hilarious. It's really just me, Lori Diamond, maybe Jude Brennan, um, in the office. That's it. Yep. And the fire alarm goes off. Awesome. Um, from these egg rolls that have now kind of caught on fire from the sparklers he stuffed inside them. And we're in his office. And so the NBC, I don't know if it was the NBC fire department, or I guess it was the New York city fire department. The fire department comes and Dave, you know, they're like, what's going on? They're like, oh, it's just, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. And Dave said, she did it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought he was kidding. And I laughed, laughed, laughed. And Dave was, Dave was like, no, she did it. She did it. You got it. He was kidding, of course, but he did it in such a deadpan way that the firemen were starting to believe it was me. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so that was really funny. And then there was, a, I mean, just there was another time. Oh, and he and by, he did talk about the egg roll incident on air. Um, so there's a clip somewhere. I'm sure like Don Geller has. We'll get Don. Well, yeah, we'll get Don to There's to, a clip to pull somewhere that. from like, uh, it, you know, that would have been 1991 where he talks about the egg rolls and the fire department. Um, so there, there was another time you know, people would send him stuff in the office. And part of my job was to open his mail. Yep. Um, and for whatever reason, we got a giant wheel of like cheddar cheese. I don't know who sent the <laughs> wheel of cheese. Um, that's a perfect gift. That, that sounds like a perfect Letterman gift, and actually. It was giant. I mean, these cheddar cheese, I mean, I don't know how much they weigh, but they're big. And so, uh, Dave, you know, Dave doesn't want the cheese. And Spike, for whatever reason, Spike Ferrison's in the room with me. And he's like, let's put the cheese on 6th Avenue. And we can't put the <laughs> cheese on 6th Avenue. We're going to cause an accident. It's a giant wheel of cheese. And, and Spike's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And so uh, Dave kind of overheard or whatever. And he's like, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And he was egging us on to go put the cheese on 6th Avenue, the cheese wheel. And I don't want any part of it because I think a bus is going to hit it and cause accidents. And people <laughs> So, but for whatever reason, you know, Spike puts the cheese on Sixth Avenue and, um, and a bus does come along and smushes the cheese. So the, so, you know, mathematically the bus is better, is bigger than the cheese. Yes. The bus <laughs> will win. All this from the sixth, from like the 14th floor window. 
And what was hilarious, like none of this was filmed. This was just how we amused ourselves in the office. Um, so we thought it was hilariously funny to see the bus squish. I mean, because the cheese went everywhere. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and we thought it was incredibly funny, but there's no cameras rolling. There's no nothing. Um, now there's just cheese all over Sixth Avenue. So we got a kick out of that. And Dave got a kick out of that. And that's kind of the stuff we would do in the office. Um, so yeah, just kind of naturally play. We would, cause a lot of, we get a lot of gifts. Some of them were bizarro and we would just play with the toys. That's kind of what would happen. Well, and, and what we see on screen is, is, uh, we had always hoped obviously as the viewing audience that the what we're seeing on screen is a reflection that, of things that actually went on and and yes, you're and just true. kind of confirming it's that yeah. um the uh and and that makes me so happy because it's organic it's not manufactured which is how it felt um you know we we've talked about this with uh talking about Merrill one of the things that Merrill liked to do to Dave early 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 on was prank the host and do things that um that were surprises to him which he of course loathed cut that out early 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 on but yes. the spirit of that continued because you guys created an art out of making an interruption that seemed unplanned it was totally planned but it seemed unplanned it seemed spontaneous course, and right. and and this is a good example of of how spontaneity was a part of the day-to-day -day life of uh you know in the walls of 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 late night uh, I appreciate this story so much. Uh, you talk about one of your duties was to answer Dave's mail. Uh, I got to ask this question. Um, did you ever open a piece of mail from the gal, uh, you know, who we're talking about here? Uh, you know, did you ever open up a piece of mail from the gal who ended up in Dave's house? You know, uh, I opened a lot of weird mail. So women would send him like pictures and weirdness and stuff. And uh, back in a time where that was not the easiest thing in the world to do, there were no digital right. cameras and things like that back then and photo maps no, and all and that. There was also no security to screen the mail. I mean, it was yeah. many years later, but there was like a, uh, what was it? I, I, uh, uh, anthrax scare at NBC with the news department. Yes. And I'm like, I saw that years later and I was like, oh, you know, thank goodness I, I, I go not there then. Yep. Um, so we would, you know, I didn't pay any, we would just toss the mail. Like any, any crazy, if it was crazy, it went in the trash. Okay. So crazy it wasn't your job trash. to build crazy files trash. on some of these people. Um, there were files on some of the people. Uh, they So very early on, uh, Lori would say, check, we would check the audience for, there were, there were one or two you know stalkers like like the yeah. woman you're mentioning and so Lori very early on would say before as the studio audience would load in she would say go down there and check for you know any of the crazies and, and you're 19 no no and no you're so 19 like, looking at like okay go and give a once over on the audience I, uh did you I ever find anything well I didn't do it so I said oh, okay. I'm not doing that I'm like you know go get I'm not doing that and so I said absolutely not I don't want to be confronted with a crazy person. I don't even want to see a crazy person. Um, so I, 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 I just said no. And yeah, they, gotcha. and like, what do you mean no? How can you say no? And I'm like, I'm saying no. <laughs> and uh, you know, and so they got somebody else. I don't even know who they got, but I didn't do it. So I didn't even do it one day. It's like I'm not, I'm not looking for crazy people. No. <laughs> Well, there's that famous story. I don't know if you were there at the time, but uh, or if you've heard this story, but there's that famous story about, uh, or semi-famous within the Letterman commu uh, enthusiast community. We've we've heard it, uh, where somebody ha had a briefcase and they came up and they just went and sat beside Dave 
at the desk and they had a briefcase oh, and, and and it was like a few very 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 tense moments oh, that's and then scary. security uh, had ejected that person that's but scary. I didn't know that. yeah i mean but also at the time that's the following that's how big late was, night was when you get that yeah exactly it was it was huge and um and it was a different time when you know that yeah so that was um day-to-day -day stuff okay so we, we passed the mail did you answer the phone i gotta ask did altman ever Absolutely. call did you hear any fun voices did you get to uh, it's fun experiences answering the phone being the gatekeeper uh for Lori, which is a right. significant gatekeeper for dave you were dave's gatekeeper um yeah. anything fun with people calling uh, i mean i have to say i do remember johnny carson that's there like, you go yeah yeah that's the one that sticks in my mind <laughs> And it was, and I can't remember, sometimes it would be Dave saying, you know, get Johnny on the phone. And then I'd have to call J Johnny Carson's assistant. And then, it, you know, okay, is he on the line? He's on the line. Let me put Dave on that kind of yep. thing. A lot of handling the, the phone. But then I, but I do remember Johnny calling on his own, you know, just sometimes he, without the assistant intervening and I would pick up the phone. Dave had a private line to his yep. office. So it would, once it went through the reception uh, it would just go straight to his office. I, I even had a private line that didn't even go through reception. It was just his private number. Um, so I would, I mean, that's what I answered. Um, Johnny so ever I make you laugh? That, excuse me? Johnny ever make you laugh? Oh, Johnny? No, he he was very, he was just formal, but it, I got a kick out of knowing I was talking oh, to him. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking about it, you know, 30 something years later or 20 something years yeah. later, whatever it is. And yeah. and I'm getting a kick out of it vicariously <laughs> that you got a chance that that voice, there's no voice yeah, I, I like I him. I mean, I unless it's Dana Carvey or Rich Little doing it or whatever, but right. like, that's the thing. He's a, his voice is so famous. It became a caricature for some of the most yeah. famous uh, impressionists of our, of our day. So many right. people, even to this day, do a Carson and you yes, got a chance yeah. to talk to him. Did Altman ever call? Do you remember Altman ever calling? Yeah, I do remember him calling, but you know, he was, I mean, he was always very close to Dave in terms of yeah. being friends. Uh, you know, nothing, we didn't chit chat or anything. Like, Okay. So just, you didn't hear I mean, creepy baby or any of that stuff. I didn't like, hear any of that. It was just okay, like, okay, okay. Jeff's on the line you know uh, his lawyer would call a lot like it yeah. was uh you know in terms of i'm sure other you know he didn't really interact with the celebrities after hours like it no. was it, so they didn't they wouldn't call um you know it was it was really the lawyer calling and and i can't remember aside from johnny carson i'm sure there were others i just it, it didn't register because again my focus was on dave i could care less what was going on in pop culture around me so yeah um yeah. Which is which yeah. is what you were hired to do. You were hired to be that person that that kind of did have those blinders on. I know, but I I had them on naturally. So, <laughs> um, okay, and unpaid the whole time, right? I was unpaid the whole time. It's okay. true. So, 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 like a very directed intern, a very specific intern, if you want to call it that, almost like because it's it's yeah. as opposed to doing general duties and trying to find yourself or whatever. You had it zeroed in, obviously. Uh, you know, all the fun, softball, all these things, but you're also 19, 20, 21. You're getting to the point now where it's like, okay, I got to figure out a way to continue my existence here in New York. I want to stay in the city. Um, did you ever talk to anybody about, like, obviously you moved on to SNL, the paid position. We're going to get to that, you know, for sure. Um, but did you make overtures to anybody saying, hey, uh, I'm going to have to start making a living here to be able to live in the city here. Is there a place for me? Uh, no. Um, okay. It, 
I just wanted this, you know, I would have been Dave's assistant like forever. My parents were a little concerned about that. They were like, you know, we didn't send you to college to be a secretary. What are you doing? I'm like, no, you don't understand. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way they did. They wanted me to have, you know, my own voice versus somebody else be versus assisting someone else's voice, which I actually think is in you know it was an important statement that i didn't appreciate back then um mm. but uh um i knew i wanted to be a writer i you know i would inquire like how do you become a writer um like i would ask i would ask steve o'donald and you know basically they they would say you put together a package and of writing with samples and let me look at it um and uh you know so i did do that twice i remember um and then I kind of, you know, just by having other writer friends like Paul Sims and stuff, it's it's like, oh, you need an agent. And how do you get an agent? And I kind of figured that out uh, just organically over the years, um, just by being around other writers. I kind of right. figured out. I was always, it's like in my mind, I was going to be Dave's assistant forever until I became a writer. And that was just what it was. Um, and I you know, I didn't have much thought beyond that. Like, that's just what I was going to do. Um, so. <laughs> uh, no. And, and, and again, that's kind of blissfully naively uh, organized. Uh, when you think about it at the age that you were, there is whimsy. You're still got that youth, uh, that, that beautiful energy of youth with you. That, that makes a lot of sense. But again, to parents, that doesn't make a lot of sense so much. It's not, they yeah. were very concerned. <laughs> you know, that I left school to go be an assistant to, you know, pop culture, basically. They, you yeah. know, they my parents were both like intellectuals. And so they were just like, what television? What do you want to do that for? And it's, it, it's so they had a different viewpoint. Um, oh, that's and, adorable. Uh, and also, by the way, I was financing all of this by, uh, with student loans. So... <laughs> So, um, in but what a time, but I what know. a time. Like And so I literally, that's why, so like, um, I know we'll get to, but like I was, I, I enrolled at NYU while I was at SNL because right. it gave me the ability to get student loans to pay for my New York city apartment so I can afford an apartment while working at Saturday Night Live. Cause even though I was paid at SNL, it wasn't enough money to afford apartment on the Upper West Side. So there were, I just like was conniving and manipulating the puzzle pieces to try to, cause this was going to work no matter what. That's what I decided. Like, this is going to work. I just got to figure out how to move the pieces around. So that's what Jill, happened. Like I, you know, a guy from Western Canada, but New York, obviously New York is, like I said, for some people, many, many people, New York is a magnet. It has a majesty to it. It has a magic to it. And it does. Uh, every time I go there, I still feel the same way. The city is alive. It has a pulse. It's this thing. Sinatra sang about it decades ago. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Uh, New York has this pulse, this magic, uh, this creative uh, juice to it. Uh, what you're describing, I think a lot of folks would be able to identify with and go, oh, my God, I, if I could chase dreams the way that you're talking about this, I would do anything to do it. You yeah. think about you as a 19-year-old versus 19-year-olds now who doing what you're talking about, again, they're adding probably one, maybe two zeros to the, the student loans you're talking about, the numbers and the things like that. Um, you got to do this at a very, very special time period. I don't know that 19-year-olds now could ever do 
uh, what you're what you did. Uh, I I do want to get to these other things, but at the end of the day, also I think it's important that we talk about the. Uh, we just had Craig Thomas on here, who was a writer for Letterman. Later on, way after you, it was over at the CBS years, but then went on to create How I Met Your Mother. Uh, but a writer, of course, a writer, and he talks about how you know it's very similar generation. He is a writer had a chance to have this gift nurtured and and he had a place where it could incubate and become a writer. And right now, at the time of this recording, there's a writer strike going on. We seem to have them every right. decade. I've been picketing, yep. Um, yeah, and 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 I mean, I'm gonna be in New York in a couple of weeks here and I'm gonna pick it with you guys and gals uh, um, because it's so important. It's being stunted. The idea of, of, of what you do in, in this creative outlet uh, that you do, um, economically back then you could kind of swing it you could figure out ways to make it happen so you could nurture the creativity but now it's becoming really really hard to do that and the industry itself is making it even harder for writers young writers to come into this thing and to to see that there is a through line of some sort a career of some sort um you know i hear the gratefulness in you but let's talk a little bit about the importance of writers and the importance of what it is that uh that that's being uh, talked about during this work stoppage. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what I can say about that is I, I actually I have been out picketing uh, in New York, and um, it you know it's I mean basically it's just about it's about the contracts, it's about um, you know just getting fair pay for the time, and I don't want to say too much about it because um, I'm a hundred percent supportive, but I don't want to uh, you know basically say something the guild doesn't want me to say. I feel you. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know the uh, you know the 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 points that are that that need to be out there at the at that level. Um, yeah, it's about AI. It's about um, you know just really getting uh, you know better working conditions. So um, because the industry has shifted to to making writers more of like short term gig workers um, versus you know having a very very sustainable um you know career uh with with money that is stable enough to have a life and a family in a very expensive you know cities LA and New York um and so that's what has changed with streaming as uh, on top of just the what I, you know just the unjust behavior um in terms of uh, you know it's the same with just music artists with how uh, you know, corporations uh, should not be getting the lion's share of the benefit from creative work. And how do we kind of right the wrong? So that's those are really the important points of the strike. And that's pretty much probably all I should, you know, should and want to kind of say about that. You're, you're so on brand. Um, I can't say very much or whatever. And then you go on to make an articulate, beautiful statement that is just <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Writing should not be a side gig. And I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not in the guild, I so I don't have to worry about, it. I'm just an enthusiastic supporter, of course, yeah. uh, of everything. So writing shouldn't have to be a side gig for somebody where they're working right. a job yeah. and they have it's, to write on the a, side because they can't afford it. Right. It's a professional, it's a profession. It's, you know, and it really, um, you know, it, it, it's other, the people who should benefit should be the writers themselves, the directors themselves, the actors themselves, not a corporate entity. So the go. media conglomerates, uh, you know, need to need to work that out and, and the streaming services and all of that. So that's, yeah. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad that this uh, this work stoppage right now is happening at the infancy of AI. AI is just starting to stretch its legs and whatnot. And we know so if we can if we can get another decade or so where people can have uh, be incubated uh, in, in, in their creativity and be able to do this, you know, the next time we'll figure out the ne- uh, you know, the next time because things are going to everything's going to change again. Right. right, right. But uh, but if we can do that, that'll be a good day's work. Uh, for for the next generation, um, so so this is great that we're talking about this now. Okay, obviously I'm going to ask you to come back. We're, we'll we'll curate a few stories because you and I, I mean, we've talked privately. There's lots of little stories that we lots can talk about before yeah. we move on to SNL. Um, are, are you okay for time? Can we move on to SNL? Are we still good talking, for that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jill, you rock! I love this so much. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Batgirl. When did Batgirl happen? Um, and how did Batgirl happen? So this is a this hilarious story. So I, for, I don't know, I won tickets to a circle line cruise around Manhattan on Halloween night by calling into a radio station because I was bored. <laughs> so there was a radio station on in the office. Dave liked to listen to like classic rock in the office. Okay. When you know he was just uh, hanging out in the office and we were listening to some kind of classic rock station and it was at the time, I don't even know if they still do this because I, you know, now I just listen to my phone uh, yeah. playlist on my phone. But at the time, the DJs would have like, call in, win tickets, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They still do that. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little out of the pop culture. We're not, we're not that old yet. Okay. So <laughs> I like, Dave's like, call in, call in, call in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> no kidding. So I call in and I win. And I'm like, how like bizarro is that to be, you know, it's like, I'm already, I already feel like I'm winning. I'm like sitting in Dave's office. It's the, you know, the inner circle it's we're hanging out at night and I just won from a calling in randomly to a radio show. It just, were you, you know, on the air? Um, I guess I was. Yeah. I guess I don't even remember, but I must've been. Let's take that apart for a second. Uh, the guy who would go on to become the greatest broadcaster in history <laughs> interacting with other broadcasters who would freak out if they understood they who yeah, just they, won this they, contest. And of course they, they don't know. Isn't that funny? They don't even know who's sitting right next to me on the couch. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so I win this circle line cruise around Manhattan for two that's going to be hosted by Adam West, who used to play Batman. Oh my God. And it's a Halloween cruise. It's on Halloween. And so, and he must way, have loved like, that. Dave must have loved that. He did. Yeah. And and so, obviously, and it was the circle line, it was like the next day. Like, this was like the day before Halloween. It was like the next day. And so, I win the tickets, and it's like, okay, who am I going to go with? And I asked Dave to go with me just because. <laughs> I had, I had no friends. My friends were all everyone in the inner circle. I had no other friends. Um, he obviously, I knew he would, he wouldn't be able to go. Um, so I ended up going with Paul Schaefer's, uh, intern, Andy Carson. Um, and, but so this was, you asked about the costume. So basically the next day, which was Halloween morning, I needed a costume. It was a masquerade circle line cruise and I had no costume. And there was a, it wasn't a CVS because I don't think they had those drugstores at the time, but there was some drugstore in the lobby of 30 Rock that sold very, very cheap costumes, yep. like, like really like five, like $5 costumes. Yep. And so I went down there knowing I would have to wear something on the Circle Line cruise that night. 
and I bought a $5 bat suit. So I bring it back up to the office and Dave's like, what do you got there? What do you have? What's in the bag? And I'm like, I have to go on this cruise. <laughs> and um, he's like, let's see it. Put it on, put it on. And so I put it on and he thinks this is fantastic. Yep. And so then um, he's, and then we were filming a remote at the time we filmed remotes on Monday. Um, and I don't remember what the, I think the remote was a cast talent show and what is everyone had to show a talent and and he's like put the costume on that's your talent you're gonna be that girl and so i did and that clip um was hilarious and i and it was like for halloween and i ended up going on the circle line cruise wearing my batgirl costume but that he loved the fact that i bought this cheapo costume for literally like five dollars in the pharmacy downstairs um and it's, I, I have other pictures. I have pictures of Barbara Gaines wearing the Batgirl suit in the office. I have pictures of Paul Sims wearing the Batgirl suit. We passed around the Batgirl suit that day. Um, and everyone has a photo of them wearing the Batgirl suit. So, oh. but my clip, of course, you know, made it uh, to, to, it was filmed. So that God was- God damn it. Fun. I knew I should have saved that story for the end. That's okay. We'll come up with something else. Uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. A uh, couple of questions. What did, did Andy dress up that night? Andy was a cow and I have an excellent picture of him <laughs> in a cow costume. So he was great. It was Batgirl and a cow. And we went on the cruise. We went on the masquerade ball. It was fun. Uh, before we leave Letterman and go to SNL for a little while here, um, did you, uh, last question, and this may be just completely irrelevant, uh, which sounds about right for me and my skill level of doing this. Uh, did you ever see the pickle? Do you know what I'm talking about? The giant pickle. Yes, you absolutely. Saw, you did, oh, there we go. You saw it? But well, not only did I see it when I going back to where we started, where I where I made the comment about in the office with Lori Diamond about at least you have condiments. It was because the giant pickle was in Dave's office, and that's what I was looking at. Shut up. That's the story. So that's oh my I, god. Yeah, when I said it, you know that the giant pickle was in the corner of the office at the time, and that's what I was referring to. Folks, so, I swear to God, we didn't pre-interview this. Uh, I've um, I've got a couple still... of calls in to see if I can get up into the Seth offices. It's going to be tougher now with the, I want a picture with the pickle. Like, I oh, think that that would be. the still up there? I didn't know. The pickle's still there? It, it, it went from late night. That's funny. Late night with Conan O'Brien to late night yeah. with Jimmy Fallon to late night with Seth that. Myers. It's it's That's apparently funny. in the offices there still. So I had no idea. So the pickle. Uh, there we go. The pickle got me the job. That's, you know, the pickle is what happened. The giant pickle. <laughs> I swear to please confirm. We did not talk about this beforehand. I swear no, to God. We absolutely did not. We absolutely did not. And by the way, just to, you know, before we move off of the, of uh, late night, um, I mean, there's so many stories still with, with just late night. Um, and you're coming back to one. tell some of them. Okay. I will so. tell one that is just, so I, I mean, Dave liked to, uh, he just liked to play around with people and one of the most nerve wracking jobs for me where I, I had to escort him to the dressing rooms on the sixth floor before every show. So our offices were on the 14th floor yep. and my job was to ride with him in the elevator down to the sixth floor um, and basically stand outside his dressing room door while he was getting ready for the show. Uh, and then be be the point person outside the dressing room and the makeup room if he needed anything. Yep. And so every day, this was like my alone time with Dave where I had to be in the elevator alone with him. 
And it would, I would get so socially anxious um, yeah. just about, even I was alone with them all the time, but it was the fact that it was this contained environment. Yep. And, you know, and, it, you know, 30 Rock is a big building. It could go, that elevator ride became very long at times. And he loved the fact he liked to make me anxious just because it would be something to play with, you know? So, um, and that was early on. I, I lost the anxiousness as time went on and got more yeah. comfortable with him. But, uh, you know, this elevator ride became like, you know, the seventh circle of hell for me. It was like, I was so nervous every day about getting in the elevator and like, what were we going to talk about? And what is the, you know, it just became this anxiety fest in my head. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, but then it, you know, people would get on the elevator and he would then kind of play with the people who would get on. And so this elevator ride just became just so funny every single day. And sometimes he would talk about it on the air too. So there were some clips, um, about Dave talking about, you know, who was in the, who was in the elevator or, um, or what happened in the elevator and stuff. On the but way down to the studio today or something like that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that would, that would happen. But, uh, I forget the point of telling you the story. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> are you kidding me? There is no point. Uh, just like this show. No, we, we, we revel in these things. These are the things that we love to talk about and hear yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, I I'm already presupposing you're going to come back and you and I will curate a couple anecdotes and things like that. The first episode when I have people on is so great, uh, but we've already had, um, experience even in the short lifespan of this show where people come on the second time and the th even the third time where a, where a, a rapport has been established which is yeah. what we're doing today and right. then next time we can just jump into it and play with whatever yeah. stories we want to talk right. about uh, and, and I just certainly feel it right now but I do want to give our audience um, you know the idea that it's so funny how for some people early Letterman was the zenith of their careers uh, because they, you know, just because of the the fact of age and, and and time frame and all that. But then you've got these people who started young and they ended up like Paul Sims is a good example of that. And, and they, they went on to do some other things. And then you've got the example later on of people who were kind of, um, you know, young when they started on Late Show. And now they're doing things outside of because the production has ended, you know, and, right. and, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the different evolutionary tracts of people, uh, you know, with uh, who worked for David Letterman and company. You now went from late night to my generations like people always ask about SNL, the, the quote, I think Lauren uh, once said this might have been on comedians and cars getting coffee, but I don't don't quote me on that um, said that. Most people's SNL cast, their cast, you know, their cast was the cast that they had when they were in high school. Um, okay. My cast was the cast that you got to work with when you moved on from yeah. late night to SNL. I'm super yeah. curious because Sandler and all these people have, have talked about how they would... Right take the elevator up when Dave was, was, was recording and they would watch him and they would have reverence for him. And they're like, Oh, we're on the coolest show on TV. Nope. That's the coolest guy on TV <laughs> right there. And they would come and sneak in to watch it. Um, you basically left late night, went to SNL. Yeah. How did that happen? And when you went to SNL, what was your, uh, what was your role? Sure. Um, so I was one of the writer's assistants initially, um, and, uh, paid gig, right? Excuse me. What paid gig? It was a paid deal. It was a paid gig. So, um, it was, you know, what, what I, I'm trying to remember, 
Uh, Lori Jo Hoskstra was uh, one of the main writing assistants. And then Tara, and I unfortunately can't remember her last name, was Jim Downey's assistant, who was the head writer at the time. And then they brought me on to be um, the, the now I can't even remember what it's called, um, the the extra writer's assistant um, mm -hmm. because we when they had the the uh, read through on um, you know one of the nights uh, but I think it was Tuesday night Wednesday night I've forgotten yep. everything yep. no <laughs> but, hey, um, no no that's okay they would bring another so I was the third the third writer's assistant for that specific read through night um, and uh, and and that was kind of that was kind of my job and now I forgot the question you asked <laughs> no 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 that's okay so. Uh, you 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 basically you're working there for free. SNL is here. Does this a, is this a job that gets posted and you post no, into it? It's interrelational. Um, I so obviously it's it, at the time it's all in the same building. It's all yeah. in Thirty Rock. Yeah. Um, a lot of the crew members are the same. So um, so I knew a lot of people. I mean, we're on the 14th floor and the sixth floor. SNL. Uh, was on the 20 something floor, uh, I think the 27th floor and the eighth floor. Right. Um, were the studio floors. And so it's yeah. a lot of crossover with crew members and stuff. Right. Um, and so I knew the people on SNL um, just from being in the building. And, uh, and so when I moved over there, um, it, you know, it, it, I just, there, this is not an advertised job. Like this is like, uh, you know, um, and so I just was, it just became, I did go in an interview, I remember, and I got the job immediately because they already knew who I was because yep. what I didn't realize was everyone in the building knew who I was because I was with Dave 24 seven. I mean, I was just, they knew me. I didn't even realize I had such blinders on. I, I didn't realize that everybody knew me wow. because of him. And so when I like show up, I'm naively like, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Jill Bayer. And, and they're like, we know who you are. <laughs> and I had, I just had no idea. I was living in such a, you know, narrow kind of focus. Um, so I, it was a very easy segue to go over to SNL. Um, and I did not get paid at the Letterman show because I was quote unquote an intern, yep. but at SNL, I got paid. And so yep. me living in New York city, that that was a no a no brainer. It's like I gotta go because I gotta do it. Money. <laughs> yep. Um, and so that's what happened there. But it was all in the same building at the same time. So who who did you break the news to uh, at late night? And and was that a hard was that a hard conversation? That so to I don't want to misinform anybody. I I got let go from late night. Okay. Um, and you might not have known that. So there was a period of time where I got let go. Um, it was, it was, you know, not to dwell on anything negative, but there was some negativity with Lori Diamond and I got let go yep. and I was adrift in New York for like months, like not having a job, not knowing what I was doing, not yep. having money to pay for apartments. And it was just, everything spiraled but it was a spiral of only about three months because then I got the SNL job. You know, SNL is off during the summer. So it was like a spiraling summer yeah. where I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And then in September, I mean, I got the job like in August. And so I immediately hooked into that show. So that's what happened there. Amazing. Um, uh, as, a, as, as, as a young person, it must've been a long three months, but at the end of the day, uh, it certainly shows the value 
of putting in some work. I mean, I certainly feel that with, with, with this show here, it's the love of it. Um, and you, you know, you put in this work and suddenly, you know, you're adrift for three months, like you say, and it's a long three months for, you know, that, but then you go back to this familiar place and suddenly you yeah. realize all that work that you did paid off and, and now you're back uh, in that building again, and this yeah. time getting paid for it. Right. Um, that must've felt really cool the day you got back it in was there. Because in a way it was kind of like, Haha, they tried to get rid of me, but they couldn't. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. By the way, that was not Dave. Like that, he had nothing to do with it. It was, it was the, you know, it was just the no. culture of how the how the shows worked. Um, but I was like, ha, they didn't get rid of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my cast, you know, Carvey, uh, uh, Jan Hooks, uh, who might have been gone by the time you got there. Actually, she left a little bit prematurely from that she staff. Was but for me, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, Victoria Jackson, Dennis Miller. Um, uh, um, then of course, uh, you know, the, 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 the transition over, you know, you know, rock and Farley and Sandler and, 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 and there, Spade, right? all these people. And you almost had two casts simultaneously kind of doing this thing. It's a very famous time in SNL history. Um, right. that's when you show up there. That's true. Um, so when I showed up, Adam Sandler wasn't even a cast member. He had, he had one show or maybe it was even just the pre-show, but um, uh, he had one show where he was just hired as a writer and not yep. a cast member. Yep. And that's when I started. So my first day was his first day. And, uh, and that's, you know, that was, that was September of 1991. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's when that happened. Um, and, uh, but I did, I had an office on the, on the, oh, the 17th floor. That was the floor. Okay, yeah. so it wasn't the 27th floor. Sorry. It 17. Was the no, that's fine. Floor. We and all know 18, that it's Studio at H, but you know. 8 H, right, yeah. exactly. So we were on so on the 17th floor where our offices were. And um, so I had my office, and then um uh Adam Sandler and Chris Farley had an offshoot office right there, and then uh David Spade and Chris Rock had an offshoot office right there, and then um <laughs> and then the rest of the writers had offices like Al Franken was there, um oh. Jim Downey was the head writer. And that was that was Smigel was Smigel there at the time. Smigel was there, absolutely, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, Conan, Conan showed up twice during that year. <laughs> yeah, um, so he was only there twice that I recall. Uh, yeah. So and he was he wasn't a full time writer. He was like he would pop in and and that was the first time I met him. So yeah. Wow. And uh, I even have a picture. I have a photo of of. Uh, the whole cast and crew and Conan's in the back. He's the tallest. You could see him before <laughs> nobody knew who he was. He wasn't, he had, he was just out of Harvard and nobody knew. And that was what that was. Uh, I cannot, there is no minimizing of this experience here. You were part, you were, you know, we were talking about atmospheres earlier. You were at the epicenter of comedy history and, and you got to see a lot of these things and, and writer's assistant don't worry. There is no minimizing of this. I don't care if somebody's a janitor, uh, in those studios, in those offices at that time, whatever, we're not minimizing anybody because this is, you know, and, and I just, again, you're so good at, at, at self-deprecation and, and kind of minimizing things. Jill, this is amazing that you got to see this shit. Like, this is crazy. Um, where were you? Okay, for example, where were you during during uh, uh, broadcasts of SNL? Were you there the, that night every every episode? Of course, no. Okay. Believe me, I mean, 
I, there were times I wanted to leave because I was so tired because I worked so much. Um, I, th I think I told I might have told you this story when we weren't on the or maybe not, but it's like, um, you know, there were I was so exhausted because we worked the hours were crazy and yep. I just wanted to go home after the show, but you couldn't you had to go you had to go to the party, which is the coolest party in New York City, you know, in the town. And I just wanted to go home and go to sleep. <laughs> Isn't but, that funny? But I had to go. And so yeah. I was required to go. Um, and so, but that was, that was kind of my attitude at that point. I was just like, I just want to go to sleep. Like, that's my goal. <laughs> and, and yet I would, you know, obviously I'd go to these, the parties every week. And, um, and that was, you know, I forgot. Where the were they? Were they, did they change locations? Were they in that, uh, yeah. that legendary spot that Ackroyd used to talk about? Or were they, uh, did they change? They would change every week. So I don't, yeah. I'm not clear what you're, which spot you're referring to. Um, okay. but they, I'm curious to know actually what it was. It a they had a, okay. So, and I, I'm, I'm a little unclear about it, but I've heard, I've heard okay. the original cast members talk about it. Uh, there was this spot that they would all go to that was very, um, uh, uh, non-suspect or it was very, uh, okay. you know, it was just one of those things where it was a secret, but there's the SNL cast party happening. And I'm trying to remember uh, the location. It well, might be PJ Clark's for some reason. I think that that kind of hits in my head. Oh, but, there um, you go. So, there you go. But, bar, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Don't, don't, uh, you know, uh, pinpoint me on that one, but uh, no. It, so when I was there, at least uh, the party would move every week. It was a moving floating party. Um, and, uh, and I would be so tired. I would just want to go back to my apartment, but of course I went every single week. Um, and, uh, but you know, that was, that was quite the time. So the guest um, host and the musical guest, uh, many, if not most times would be there. A hundred percent. They were just like me. They had to be there <laughs> and they would want to be there. And, you know, I kind of, it's a tongue in cheek thing with me saying, I didn't want to be there. It's just, oh, like, no, I get it. He was just tired. <laughs> so. Was Michael Jordan on that year? Michael Jordan was the first guest for the and first Public show. Enemy. Oh That's my correct. God, you were there for the Michael Jordan Public Enemy episode. Holy so shit! Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh and my God. I was also God. there for like Bruce Springsteen and when Sinead O'Connor did her thing with Holy Terry shit! You were there for that. Um, Madonna showed up. Barbara Streisand showed up. I mean, it was it was wild. It was real. Tom Petty was one of the. I loved seeing that as a musical. Him as a musical guest. Um, you know, and I was just there. So I went back to your original question. I mean, I would be on okay. the floor during the show. I was on the 8-H floor during rehearsals and during the show. Um, and and I was on the show twice, but got cut during dress rehearsal because oh. um, I couldn't swing it. <laughs> I wish that there would be a compilation of, of uh, just like talking about the stuff for Letterman that got cut. I, I, I love this stuff. If there was ever, um, you know, any of the digital shorts, uh, you know, later on, obviously, but but dress sketches, yeah, uh, so I would, that, uh, yeah. that 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 get cut, some of them being, you know, really really good or subversive or, or whatever, but they right. get cut for whatever reason. Uh, I love the idea of the path not taken and and some of these things. Uh, I'm I fascinated think, I think by NBC, that. I think NBC has that somewhere, and yeah. I you know, personally, I mean, uh, you know, Don Giller's the one to ask about that if he can get his hands on that kind of tape. Um, but uh, like, I mean, I was I was in the sketch once with Tom Hanks, and I kept blowing my lines because I was so nervous because I, I never particularly liked being on camera just because I would get so nervous. Um, and uh, and I mean, I remember the director kind of threw me out of the sketch. <laughs> but it, but it was hilarious because Tom Hanks, he didn't know I worked on the show. He thought I was an actor, like an actor. 
and wow. who had part and then just got fired in front of him because I couldn't deliver my lines with Tom Hanks because I would get so nervous. So he came backstage after that and he's like, you know, you're going to go on to do other things. It'll be okay. He was so nice. And I said, oh, I'm the writer's assistant. I work on the show. <laughs> And, you know what uh, I love about this story? Or one of the writer's assistants, I shall say. Um, but uh, but he thought that was so hilarious because he thought he was consoling me as, a, as an actress. Um, and in, I'm like, nah, I don't do this. <laughs> the funniest so. thing about that, I don't know if you remember this because you're, you're again, that you were in the eye of a hurricane. But they did a... I want to think. I want to say it was the monologue at one time when he hosted. It was within his first five times for sure. Right. It was before the Five Timers Club, uh, where Hanks came in, and the whole thing was the whole premise of the monologue was about him being a nice guy, and, oh, and how funny. he would go around and he would be like saving people and all that. People were just like, "Oh, he's so nice. He's so that's nice." Right. <laughs> and and you just are confirming that with a real life story. He was so uh, nice. He thought he was consoling a wor- an actress yeah. who just lost her gig. And it's like, yeah, I work here. <laughs> God damn, Jill. I, I've got so many questions. Like, okay, so the Sinead O'Connor, like, oh God, I want to go into public enemy now because I'm such a big public enemy fan. If I would have known, I would have worn their shirt today. Uh, um, but were you there during the Sinead O'Connor yes. episode? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, she was there for the good nights. And, and I mean, I've read many times uh, talking about how people were, some were shell-shocked, some just went like on you know, uh, you know, life goes on. Uh, she came to the rap party that night. You know, I don't remember. Okay. Um, I honestly okay. don't remember what I, do that's remember, crazy. I actually, before coming on your show, I Googled it just cause I hadn't thought about it in so many years. Yeah. Um, and some of the stuff on the internet is wrong, which surprised me. Um, no kidding. Really? <laughs> it did surprise me. I'm so naive. I'm like, how could, but this, that's not what happened. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, what I recall, maybe my memory's wrong, but what I recall is that during dress rehearsal, she tore up a picture of Saddam Hussein. Um, and, uh, and then uh, obviously during the actual, uh, you know, she switched the pictures to the Pope. And the um, song too, right? The so- I don't remember, so I can't comment okay. on that. But I, I think do the, the legend that- is, is that during dress, there were like other musicians and she had brought in like a she had brought in extra musicians or something like that and then made the call or, or maybe maybe it was earlier in the week or whatever they brought in these people paid right. the money and all that and then right. she switched it up to go acapella and then it was the she did a picture sw- uh, switch too right. that's interesting but, but you remember I it as saw, saddam that's interesting a hundred percent that's why and i saw it on the internet when i googled it the other day just because i you know i i thought maybe we talk about it but it's uh and i was like and there were different descriptions online yes that and I'm and I'm like, oh, that's interesting because I'm pretty clear. I mean, I have a good memory, so I wonder why there's different descriptions online which are not true. Because yeah, you know, it's like, how could something be not true on the internet? <laughs> so. Um, I hope you're feeling the uh, I hope you're feeling the synergy right here because that means you will come back and we will tell more of these stories. Sure, um, absolutely. This is like Jill. I'm having a ball. Uh, oh, that's great. Okay. And you ended up working on Friends as well. I did. So I moved to LA um, and uh, and I did work on Friends and that was really quite interesting as well. <laughs> so The yeah. stories that are in your head. Yeah, I have a lot of stories. My whole goal ever since the first day, I wanted to be a writer. Like that's what I wanted to do. 
Um, and so I kept getting these assistant jobs. I, you know, I think just because my age, cause I was, I was on the younger side. I mean, I was younger than I was 22 and younger when yeah. I had these jobs. And so, um, you know, I wasn't able to kind of leverage myself to a full writer's position, but I kept getting writer's assistant positions, writer's assistant positions. So, um, but I did work, I moved to LA I, without a job, by the way, I just moved to LA. <laughs> um, and Oh, now I, it gets cliche. Now it gets to, okay, I'm going to move to LA to seek my fortune and all that. After you have this wealth of experience, this craziness, now yeah. you do the classic stereotypical. Exactly. And I moved to LA and I, and I knew nobody except my agent at the time. I had gotten a lit agent for TV um, yeah. and he, but he was my only point person. I literally knew no one in California. And I moved to LA, unknown, like had no no contacts, no nothing. Um, and I got a job on Friends as uh, the writer's assistant. So, um, you know, so our production assistant, I think was my first title. Um, yep. But that, yeah, it was, I was a PA on Friends and then that became my world. And I was, uh, I was, you know, there every day. And I did that's and I did that for a while. <laughs> How many seasons? I was only there for one season. Um, and Do you remember which one it was from a storyline standpoint? Were Ross and Rachel together yes. or not together? For, well, for some reason, I thought it was like the second to last season, but I actually Googled it last night so I could be clear. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was like it was like the sixth season. So, so Rudd, Paul Rudd hadn't shown up yet. No, and it there was, you go. was the one where... Um, ah, the one where? Anyway, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, it, it was, I just, I remember the sets in my brain and it was, a, it was where Ross had his own apartment set and Jennifer Aniston was, was, you know, kind of in that set too a lot. And there, that's all I, I mean, that's my memory. Yeah. Might've been the co-parenting thing where she had the kid or I was about to maybe have the, the kid with Ross or something like that. It was like the it was six a... seasons. So I was, that yeah. was the sixth season. Yeah. That's... yeah. And I was there for the whole year icon iconic things uh that you were a part of um i mean we're we're, we're almost 90 minutes now so i gotta i mean oh, god damn i feel like we're just <laughs> establishing this rapport uh, thank you so much for this please come back uh Absolutely. obviously um now that being said i want to talk about what you're doing now and 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 where you're at and and uh you're in new york right now at the uh, moment, very I mean, cool very cool apartment by the way i dig the aesthetic you. you got going on um <laughs> the uh what are you doing now jill yeah no i mean i'm i'm a writer i'm more of a feature writer now um just because i i like creating stuff i like writing stuff on my own and then going out with it versus working on a daily tv show so i like gotcha. my time my time to be my own um and so uh so i'm really a feature writer now um, I am also, uh, an artist, so I've crossed, uh, I basically have two parallel careers, um, yeah. and I, I am a painter. So, um, so I do that and, uh, and that's part of the reason why I'm in New York. Um, and, but I still have my hand, uh, a big hand in writing and I basically have to those two parallel careers. So that's kind so of, what kind of features do you like to write and what kind of, uh, you know, we'll talk about the, the, the media of, uh, that you like to paint in a second sure. here, but what kind of features, uh, speak out to you? Do you write every day? Do you have multiple projects going on? Is there have, an opus that you have? What do you, I uh, have multiple projects going on. So yep. I, you know, I, I have a library of scripts. I have, um, you know, sometimes I work on three scripts at a time at different stages. It's, um, you know, I, and then I, I'm, I'm 
you know, try to get it to my manager, try to get it to my agent, try to, you know, to get the projects out there. Um, I learned not to uh, think of any one project as like your special baby or anything. You got to have, you got to just keep moving and have another project and another project you're working on. Um, so that way, no, not no one project takes on uh, so much weight. Obviously, right now we're in the middle of um, you know the uh, you know the the writers thing, the writers, uh, and so I you know at the moment nothing's going on. <laughs> right, of course. Um, yeah, and so which, but I'm I still write. I mean, it's almost you know a compulsion. So I'm I'm just uh, you know in, in the apartment writing, and uh, and that's what I do with half of my time. And then the other half of my time, uh, I am an artist, and I've and I've had some shows uh, downtown Manhattan, and um, and I really have these two kind of parallel careers. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm doing now. If any young uh, aspiring creatives uh, end up finding their way to this uh, dialogue today, they're going to be looking at that, and they're going to be going, "Holy shit." She's in an apartment in New York and she spends her time between writing various projects and then going and painting things and having every once in a while a gallery display or a, a, a showing of her of her stuff. And they're sitting there in awe of the sentences that you just said. I would like to pick your brain a moment for your wealth of experience, uh, clearly talking about the idea of not getting married to some of the projects of writing that you're doing and not getting too attached to it. Clearly that is something you learned either on Letterman or SNL or whatever. We've had writers come on here and talk about that, how they can't get married. The The, the pace was so frantic. You find these good ideas, but don't get too attached to them. Be ready to yeah. evolve them. Be ready to throw them away. Be ready to move on to something else. You've done a good job already just in, in, in how you exist in, in talking about a lesson that you learned right there. Um, but I'm going to ask it more pointedly now. If you have any advice to these young creatives out there, um, what would it be? That you just you, you can't get focused on one project, um, no. and that and that the fact that one specific project hasn't gone forward doesn't mean the project's bad at all. No. It just means it's not the right time for that project, and that's why you got to have a bunch of things going at the same time. Um, especially when you're dealing with pop culture, uh, you know it shifts and changes and and in the very, it's about money. It's about what the buyers think will sell. So just recognize that, you know, if you, if, if you're in the, there's a business, you know, side to all of this, and that's what's moving, certainly the TV and film side on the art side, money moves it too. Um, and so you can have this kind of purist ideal that you don't care and that's fine. But if you're trying to make a living at doing it, then you have to care and you have to understand how it works. Um, and so it is both writing and art are businesses and you mm -hmm. need to understand how to maneuver within the business. And, um, you know, with the art, I have more freedom, obviously. Um, but with the, with the TV writing, it's like, you don't want to get attached to any one project. You just want to, you know, finish what you're doing, move on to something else, do that, move on to something else, do that in terms of like this within the realm of like TV and film projects. And I write TV too. Mm -hmm. um, I, I write uh, pilot, pilots. I, I have two pilots I'm trying to sell. Um, not right now because of the writer's strike. But, yeah. <laughs> but in um, when things pick up again, I mean, that's that's what I was doing right before the strike is trying to sell my TV pilots uh, and trying to sell my my spec features. Um, but at the same time, I spend a lot of time painting. 
um, and uh, and and doing that. So I basically live in two in two parallel worlds. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you saying that, succumbing to the idea, because I mean, it's very easy to lament or strike out against the idea that unfortunately, um, on this side of the planet, when it comes to art um, and commerce, uh, putting them together is unfortunately sometimes uh, very, very strange bedfellows that contradict each other. I think that's part of the reason why uh, the, the 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 work stoppage is happening right now. You got creatives versus corporations, and how can we figure out ways on the highest, on the macro level? How can we find ways for them to work together? But but you even talking about that as an individual artist saying, okay, you're a creative, you want to put some stuff out there, you have to accept the fact whether you like it or not that these two things are are linked up and you have to find a way to make that happen. If you want to do this professionally as a full-time gig, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful message. Clearly learned from years of experience of all sorts of experiences. My God, Jill, what you have seen. Uh, I can't wait to talk again about this. Uh, we we burned the Batgirl story and I'm not, I don't, uh, I, you know, I don't, re I don't regret it even a little bit because it's just happened so beautifully and organically, uh, but I'm at a loss for a way to close things. So that being said, let's, this is the Letterman podcast. Let's go back to Letterman for a second here. Looking back on that time with Letterman, um, you know, if there were one or two, uh, things that stood out as life lessons that you got from that place, um, clearly there was a lot of joy there. There was a lot of franticness, long hours, a lot of things you were in this ecosystem and, and you came out of it, uh, one or two things that kind of, as I kind of set that table and put you on the spot and hope for God's sakes that we can come up with something that's as close to the Batgirl story as possible, uh, in, in its, in its entertainment value or its insight value, um, what were a couple of the takeaways that you took from, from, from late night? Yeah. I, I mean, that's such a broad question. <laughs> I know I'm hoping for anything at this point. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was, it was such a, it, it was such a fun time. I mean, it really was. I had so much fun working on that show and it was such a unique experience that I mean, beforehand, I mean, Dave was really my idol. I was a college student and, you know, and I was in Georgia. And the fact yeah. that I could simply, you know, I remember, I actually remember thinking one day in Georgia, okay, I don't know what to do with my life. If I could do anything at all, what would I want to do? Like if there were no, you know, no barriers. Yep. And no I boundaries. Myself, if there were no barriers at all, and it was just total wish fulfillment, what do I want to do? And I thought, I want to work on the David Letterman show. And then within, within six months, I was working on the David Letterman show. And not only was I working there, but I was his personal assistant. And I had gotten myself to where, like, beyond I ever thought possible where I wanted to be at age 19. And, um, you know, it, it, that, was, that was just... So don't think something's impossible. Like if you, anybody would, I mean, anybody would have thought, oh, how can someone sitting in Georgia who knows nobody in entertainment, because I knew nobody, um, how can they get themselves not only there, but like at the prime, you know, spot there, everyone around the country want, would love to like shadow Letterman 24 seven. And suddenly that was my job. <laughs> um, and so that was like, that kind of gave me a life lesson at a very young age that, if you can, if you can like see it in your mind's eye, that can happen. 
Um, you, you know, you set, you set, you create, set a course and then just follow the course. And of course, you know, like I said, it took me six months to get there by calling every day and not feeling rejected and just picking up the phone two weeks later and calling again. And, um, and I was able to, uh, you know, build a life where I had no Hollywood connections before. I mean, I, I knew nobody. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there was, there was no clear path and I made the path and, you know, the life kind of opened up and put me in this amazing situation. Holy so. shit. We did it. Uh, we did it there, there, that like, like, like seriously, uh, because the idea of not being afraid to dream, uh, I, I think in the society that we live in right now, uh, people can get distracted so easily with the polarizations that are happening and tribalism and teams and all that kind of stuff. And in that, we certainly uh, many times can lose our individuality and forget whimsy and 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 asking ourselves these introspective questions. If time and money were no object, what would I do? Okay, right, right. Now identify that, which can be a tough thing in itself, but we right. identify it and then some action towards it, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're working a nine to five somewhere, but if that dream is alive and every week or every two weeks, you do something just a little bit towards that action, you calling Colette, uh, yeah. you call, or whoever it was that you, you were, you it were calling Colette. there, like yep. Yep. Uh, moving towards it, a little bit of action towards that dream yep. and having that dream as uh, uh, like, we don't dream enough anymore. And I think it gets beaten out of us with all of these things that happen around us that distract us. And, 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 uh, it takes a creative to send that message sometimes, Jill. I really think that, and and that is a beautiful sentiment, one worthy of ending the show on. Uh, we did it. Look at that. Um, <laughs> I, I I cannot thank you enough for sharing that with 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 people because again, um, I, it's what I'm doing now. I'm a 47 year old man. That that is exactly what I'm doing here. 100. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm doing here with no outcome except for uh, the results of manifestation in the universe and putting out, trying to put out good work, trying to work right. towards these dreams. And it's the thing that, take my family out of the equation. I think I said this to you on the phone. It brings me more joy than almost anything in my life. And I don't get paid for it, but I don't care because this yeah. is the thing that fires me up for the other things in my life. And it turns right. life from black and white into color. And yeah. you just, you just gave me a life lesson in saying that, Jill. I can't thank you enough for that. Um, I'm really grateful that this connection has 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 started. I can't wait to nurture it more and have you on again. Uh, thank you so, so much for sharing your time on this weekend morning uh, to be on the Letterman podcast. I just appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Now I've enjoyed talking to you. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll say our goodbye privately. I'm going to hit stop now. We'll say our goodbye privately. And I'll shoot a separate outro. So uh, thank you so much, Jill. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Okay, that was so much fun. Um, Jill Bayer is just a delight to me. I am so, and I, I'm certain a delight to everybody out there as well. Uh, how about that wheel of cheese story? Uh, you know, we've talked off camera. She has pictures of that. They're just not with her. And I don't know that they're digitized. But the idea, like, apparently there's pictures uh, from the 14th floor of, of of the aftermath of the wheel of cheese being splattered all over Sixth Avenue by a by a bus. And if if this uh, if this episode has taught us anything, New York City bus greater than wheel of cheese. Um, that was so much fun. And and I mean, we just hit the tip of the tip of the iceberg with her, like we do with so many of our 
uh, of our guests here the first time that they're on. Uh, cannot thank Jill enough for for uh, taking her time to open up her memory banks and her heart. Like, what a sweetheart. Uh, you know, you could just see. I, I wish that every artist out there has had uh, the opportunity or has the opportunity um, to kind of explore that the way that, that 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 Jill has. Yes, you know, in the world of entertainment and in the 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 hustle and the bustle and the and 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 whatnot um, and the realism of that. The fact that she understands and has submitted, uh, you know, to the idea of art and commerce having to do a thing to to, to do some sort of a dance together. I, I just love that message. Um, yeah, we we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Rupert and 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 uh, you know our, our one sponsor uh, for the Letterman podcast is Rupert G and the Hello Deli. Uh, if you want any Late Show with David Letterman merchandise, uh, please please go to hello-deli.com sooner than later because the deli is for sale. Uh, we got mugs, uh, shirts. We Rupert has mugs, shirts uh, of Late Show with David Letterman, but also of Rupert and 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 I. I would get those soon, you know. Uh, I was on another show uh, this last week, and he and the the, the host Jay talked about uh, how these are going to be a collector's item, and they are. You know, these Rupert G's Hello Deli shirts are going to be a collector's item because soon Rupert G will not own the Hello Deli anymore. I talked to Rupert uh, a couple of days ago, and and there's movement. And I'm not going to say anything else. There's movement though. There are bites on the, of course there are, it's, it's a national or it's a New York landmark now, the hello deli. Um, so yeah, drop Rupert a line, uh, drop an order, uh, for, for, for some late show or some Rupert merchandise. And, uh, and, and let's, let's, let's all give him some love because I mean, he's finishing up a pretty legendary run as well. Uh, so hello dash deli.com Rupert G and the hello deli, the only sponsor of the Letterman podcast, uh, I am just so grateful. Can't go, can't go an episode, an episode can't go by without talking about how grateful I am for this thing. Um, lots more to come, uh, to borrow a phrase from Mr. Carson, uh, and his production. Uh, this has been another episode of the Letterman podcast with Mike Chisholm. Coincidentally, I am Mike Chisholm. Thank you. And good night. Overcoat and underpants.